feeling this here. Yeah, son, you feel it, man. Roll up, son. You gotta just do it, yo. Yeah, man. Yo, roll up, man. It's a different channel, son. Roll up, on, man. Roll up, watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. It's all good. Roll up, all this good. This call is now being hood, recorded. Son. Roll up, yeah. yo. Yo, yo. I got maybe about three questions total in Baltimore, so not too bad. Oh. I gave them, I gave them my, uh, you know, kind of my, I guess you can say my political answer. Not to get too deep into, you know, race relations or anything like that, or anything about my, uh, my personal life, you know. Yeah. Just, just pretty much say, you know, it's bad. You know, I'm really conflicted. You know. I can understand why people are riding, but at the same time, you know, my half my city is in my city, especially where I grew up, you know, it's been destroyed halfway and then it's kinda of hard to see. And after that they don't ask me any more questions and go and they go on to the next one. <laughs> oh wow, that's 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 pretty good. I mean when you say something like that, you know, I guess, you know, how can they really respond? <laughs> you say the place where I come from is going up in the flames, I guess. You know, people are like, oh, maybe I shouldn't ask any more questions. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, I thought I, I mulled it over quite a bit, just thinking about what I can say um, the day after um, everything happened, especially with the uh, get-together I went to over the weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, since we uh, last spoke on the situation, um, it's funny because we put it up, you know, just before the announcement that the six cops uh, were going to be charged. Um, and, you know, the mood in the city was, you know, quite celebratory after that. Um, and, you know, there was this, uh, sigh of relief, I guess, for a second. But then, you know, you know Marilyn Mosby, she, uh, gave her historic, uh, speech about it. And then, um, the curfew was still going on. And people were like, you know, why do we still have this curfew? So, more people were being beaten and arrested. And then finally, last night, they lifted the curfew, and I felt free once again. So, you know, after 10 o'clock, I took a little drive around uh, the east side of Baltimore, northeast side, to uh, exercise my freedom, and it felt good. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up. Um, I can only, I can't imagine, you know, being told to, you know, just be out. I mean, to, to be in the house by 10 o'clock. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really like, um, yeah, I mean, it takes you back to, uh, middle school and high school, you know. Yeah. It's very, uh, you know, it just, it feels like you're just being, uh, talk 
down to by the government. <laughs> and it's just like, gives you this real depressed, stuck kind of feeling. And I guess, you know, of course, uh, Saturday was the uh, Floyd Mayweather-Pacquiao fight. And, um, you know, one of my concerns was how I was going to see it. But, you know, how we do, find a way. <laughs> yeah. And um, Mayweather came through once again for the, uh, what's this, 48th, 49th time? 48th mm-hmm. time, I believe. Um, what are your thoughts on the uh, on the fight? Um, well, I, I think I saw Mike Tyson, he said something that it was kind of, you know, underrated. I mean, it was, it was overrated. It wasn't, it wasn't very exciting. Um, and I thought that at least with someone like Pacquiao, you know, it, it, it would have probably, it would, it would have been more exciting than what it was, but, um, as usual, Mayweather gives you a very slow but technical fight to the point where the commentators are talking about, you know, his, his, his technical, his technical abilities when it comes to boxing, they get really intricate with it. And, you know, sometimes you don't want to hear that. You just want to see people just, you know, beating shit out of each other. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's interesting because, you know, um, with Mayweather, I mean, you know how his fights usually tend to be. I thought this was the most exciting Mayweather fight that I've seen in a long time, if ever. I mean, like, he was, he was a lot more aggressive than, um, I've seen him previously. And I guess it wasn't very aggressive at all, but, (laughs) um, you know, one thing that I did notice is uh, every time there was a fight stoppage, he was quick to just, you know, jump right back in there and try to get his little hits in before uh, Pacquiao could kind of get himself together. Um, but yeah, I thought, um, you know, I thought it was a good fight. I do, I, I do appreciate the commentary on uh, Mayweather's technicality, and you know, he he's such an amazing boxer that all of the uh, personal flaws and the reasons why people don't like him is just like you really can't say anything to him because he's just that good, you know. Like, I know um, a lot of people were saying things like, you know, you're a terrible person if you are rooting for Mayweather because of his uh, domestic abuse history and, you know, uh, just the way that he acts in public or the way that he's perceived to be. And, um, and you know, while all those things uh, may ring true, uh, you can't frown on their skills. And, you know, I really wish I would have bet on that fight because I would have won a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, when it comes to um, the perception of various public figures, you know, I, it, it's funny how... Um, how certain people get more attention when it comes to their personal lives compared to others. Um, and I think, at least with boxing, especially with Floyd Mayweather, I guess also like the way he flaunts his prosperity, um, it's kind of reflective on how boxing is, or at least like these, these big matches, the big boxing matches. Because like whenever there's like a, a big boxing match, especially nowadays, it seems like it has like a lot of soap, 
social, you know, social implications attached to it to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, and especially like I mean, I don't. I mean, maybe I can only imagine how it would have been like if we went at the Green Turtle to watch this fight because I remember like the last day what the fight me and you went to at the Green Turtle what like two years ago now. Something like that, yeah. And it was funny because you know you had like the whites and the blacks together for Mayweather. And then you had the Hispanics for the, the guy whose name I don't know. Oh, man. Oh, man. That was crazy. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was really crazy. And it's funny because, like, you know, boxing just has this hit. And, you know, fighting, uh, I guess, combat sports in general is so uh, divided along race and nationality. Um, it's really insane. Like, that was just like I just remember uh, every time that guy whose name we can't remember. Any time he looked like he was doing a little something against me, whether the Hispanics on the one side of the bar, they just erupted in, in, um, in excitement. And um, you know, it's interesting because it's kind of it's kind of cool to see that because it's like, oh man, you kind of feel happy for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I guess, um, and, you know, it's the same thing with the UFC, you know, especially, you know, when the Brazilians are rooting for Anderson Silva or, you know, the Hispanics root for, um, uh, what's his name, with the brown pride tattoos um, and all of that. Um, mm -hmm. I guess, you know, fighters are like our real-life superheroes sometimes for, you know, for, you know, whatever race or whatever nationality we come to. Uh, uh, come from even back in the day. Remember when um when they had the uh, Canadians who used to come through uh, WWF or whatever, and they used to have America versus Canada, and it used to be a big thing like that. Well, that's kind of about that. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. I guess uh, Floyd uh, Floyd uh, gave us a good look for the black people. <laughs> Um, another victory for black people, uh, along with those officers being charged. Um, I guess keeping along the same lines, um, uh, I think we talked about this the other day, but I wanted to bring it up on the show really quickly. Uh, I guess this is a, definitely not a win for black people. Uh, John Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, just hearing about what happened with him, um, I think... The story that I've heard so far is that he ran a red light, crashed into a lady's car, and she was pregnant and broke her arm. His car was totaled, and he got out and ran. And then at some point came back and grabbed some stuff out of the car and disappeared for like at least a day before he um, finally turned himself in. And He's been stripped of the uh, UFC light heavyweight belt and, I guess, kicked out of the UFC, and he's probably going to do some jail time, and that's just a shame, man. Damn. Now, uh, was, he like, well, was he, like, high or something like that, or we don't know? Uh, we don't know. Um, I was listening to uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, and, you know, his theory is that maybe – he disappeared like that before turning himself in because maybe he had some drugs in his system that might go away after a certain amount of time. And, you know, he was, um, he did get caught with uh, having, what is it, cocaine metabolites in his system um, a couple months mm -hmm. ago. So 
And um, they say that, you know, he's been kind of wild and having this reckless kind of behavior. Um, so, um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily uh, count that out. And it's just a disappointment, and you know, because he really could have been an example. I remember Anderson Silva said something like that because they're supposed to be really good friends. And um, I don't know, you know. Uh, I think on the Joe Rogan podcast, uh, they were talking, you know, maybe it has something to do with, uh, you know, brain trauma and head injuries and things of that nature. Um, you know, too much uh, hits on his frontal lobe, which results in, uh, you know, poor impulse control or whatever. But I don't know. It's just a sad thing because he's really the best and uh, he could have been a star. But, yeah. Well, you know, I think this goes into something that I've been thinking about more as of late, and, you know, it's something that we always, um, you know, people within the black community always tend to go back to, and it's just like reliance on having athletes as our heroes. Mm. Um, and, you know, with the, the Floyd, Mayweather's, Michael Jordan's, and so on and so forth, it seems like with a lot of, like, these that shit then every black star that we do have like you know in each and every arena of sport there is as it tends to be some type of weird scandal now you know i'm sure some some of the reason why is because of the fact that, that they're black yeah um, more scrutinized and looked at for those type of things um yeah you know because um i was pissed that no one really talked about ben roethlisberger and when he um raped that girl or something he did something to that girl and it was said he did it, but he settled out of court, and we only heard about it maybe like a week or two, and it disappeared. Um, Michael Vick is is fighting fighting dogs, not even people, <laughs> not even humans. And, and apparently, he you know there's debate on whether he actually did it or not, or whether people were just doing it at his house. Yeah, and this man has to go. Well, he went like what sixty minutes or some shit, and he was apologizing. Yeah, and um, he being a good nigga. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they they put him through. I think he um had to do community service and work at a um he had to get like a job at a supermarket or something. And you know, where ironically they're selling uh dead animals for for people to eat, which were probably brutally killed. Um, mm. but um, but yeah, man, it's just it's. It's interesting to see how they're quick to hang, you know, a black athlete on um, or any type of black celebrity for things that aren't even as extreme as, you know, some of the things that these white uh, athletes and other celebrities do. I mean, yeah, and actually, um, well, before, before I get into another part, um, you know, this reminds me of that uh, uh, what the last poet said. About, you know, niggas play football, basketball, baseball, while the white man chops off his balls. Mm. Mm. You know, and you know. Uh, <laughs> that makes me feel, you know, uh, I, I guess I'm in a real militant mind frame right now because I just saw um, Rosewood for the first time this weekend. Uh, you know, my girl, she sat me down. She's like, you need to see this. So um, that movie is... is it is really something <laughs> and that that uh quote that you just said just brought back those images 
Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen uh, Fruitvale Station? I've been meaning to see it. Um, I have not seen Fruitvale Station, but I did see the actual video of what happened to uh, Oscar Grant. Okay. Um, I've seen neither, but um, I do have I have the film. I just haven't watched it yet, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was trying to watch it with my mother, but she I mean, but she, she knows about the story. She doesn't really want to want to watch it. And um, how uh, how ironic that. Uh, Baltimore's police commissioner, um, Commissioner Batts, is the same commissioner who was uh, over the Oakland Police Department at the time that that happened. Oh, really? I, I did not know that. Yeah. Huh. Yep. And all, all that he was talking about on uh, on uh, on midday with Dan Rogers. <laughs> But, you know, when it comes to these, you know, I, I I said what I said about, you know, uh, the black community relying a bit too much on these athletes. And it kind of goes, I think I think we talked about the uh, the Ghost of Cornell West article on the show. Did we? Um, we might have talked about it before the show. We might have mentioned it a little bit on the show. I'm not sure if we really went into it, though. Okay, well, um... Well, I guess for the, uh, the listeners out there, um, to make a long story short, Michael Eric Dyson, a public intellectual, and he's a professor at, I believe, Georgetown University, um, he came out with this 10,000-word kind of rather scathing yet personal article in The Republic on Cornell West and kind of like his demise, kind of sort of becoming a bit too mainstream for what his profession calls for and not putting out real scholarship. Um, and the thing about the article, I think we did talk about this whole um, off-air, um, was the fact that um, I do agree with Michael Eric Dyson and what he said, um, but the thing is, I don't think we really needed an article like this, you know, based on like, what's been going on in the black community between people getting killed and, you know, all these weird things that have been going on between the cops and, you know, some of the cops that are killing, you know, that are involved in some of the killings of these black men are black. Um, so I was just thinking that maybe it wasn't a good time to come out with the article. Uh, what do you think about that? Um, I think it's weird because, um, you know, I hate to see... Um, black people fighting in public, um, especially when it's on a medium that is, um, you know, primarily consumed by white people because, you know, they just love to see niggas fight. But um, at the same time, I think that um, it's an important conversation to be had because um, it seems like now, um, you know, our public intellectuals and politicians and, you know, just uh, figures in general, um, they kind of skate by a little bit. And I think uh, Michael Eric Dyson did uh, even use that term in that um, in that uh, essay that he wrote. Um, and, you know, when people are skating by, especially in, um, in, you know, the days and times that we're living in now, I think it's important to, you know, keep, hold um, our people to task and, you know, keep them on the mission of, you know, what it's supposed to be about and 
um, he did, you know, point out some things about how Cornell West criticizes other people for, you know, uh, getting too close to celebrities and enjoying that lifestyle, and then he turns around and does the same thing and, you know, how it's all counterproductive or whatever. So, um, you know, I do think that the uh, valid points that he uh, took to Cornell West, um, you know, I think it serves as an example of what other um, upcoming you know, black intellectuals and leaders, um, you know, it kind of shows them the standard of, you know, what to do or what not to do, you know? Yeah, I can I can see that. And I think, you know, nowadays we do have um, way, way more black uh, public intellectuals that are starting to come in with, um, I guess, with um, the... Uh, the, the, I guess the popularity of a lot of um, you know web websites such as the Huffington, the Huffington Post and stuff like that, who kind of <clears throat> um, use a lot of black intellectualism when it comes to their articles. To the content, yeah. I also, um, um, the, uh, uh, the Atlantic and stuff like that as well, and um, you know, just I mean, all these new names or you know newish names that are popping up onto the mainstream scene, um, especially with this whole Baltimore thing. I mean, you have Ta-Nehisi Coates; uh, he was kind of already out there. Um, you have uh, what's his name, DeRay. Um, I can't think of his last name right now. Um, you have D. Watkins. Um, you have people like M. K. Asante. You have like all these different people who are kind of. Um, bursting on the scene and changing the narrative and, you know, kind of setting things straight for, you know, what's happening now. And it seems like, at least for the moment, they're true to the mission and not uh, grandstanding for, you know, personal gain, which is kind of cool. And I guess it goes to what you were saying. Um, it seems like our heroes may be shifting a bit more from the athletes to the uh intellectuals and it seems like athletes uh in some sense some of them are kind of stepping up um to you know play their part in um things that are happening and not necessarily you know be too worried about backlash and things like that because you know back in the day you had people like muhammad ali and you know um who you know took stands on issues that happened and it's like you know, he was an athlete, but he also, you know, stood for something. So, you know, I like mm -hmm. to see when um, Carmelo Anthony comes to Baltimore and it's not really publicized and stuff like that, but he's out here, you know, showing support um, and, and you know, things of that nature. And it's like, you know, the athletes are being uh, kind of held to test to, you know, do something to give back as much, you know, money as we put into them. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's a good thing, but at the same time, you know, we we have all these rappers who don't exactly do do that to a certain extent. I think at this yeah. point, I sometimes feel the athletes, you know, they do way more for the well, I know they do, but it's I guess it's different for them because you know they had they kind of they're kind of forced to, you know, like how the NBA they have um, the NBA cares, and I think NFL they have like different weird foundations they're affiliated with or, or they have anyway. That's true. Um, but I do think that, I don't know, I think I said this before on previous shows, but it does seem like 
there is a certain consciousness that's, you know, brewing or coming back into fashion um, within the black community. And, you know, even when it comes to rappers, there are more rappers who are doing things, um, you know, out in the open and kind of behind the scenes. Like, I think um, Jay-Z donated a lot of money to Be More United, um, kind of under the radar. And then, um, you know, of course, you had Joey Badass. He was protesting out in New York. Uh, I think Wale came out here and um, talked to some school kids and was doing stuff out here. Um, well, he's from the area, <laughs> kind of. But, um, uh, and, you know, Beyonce did a little thing for it. And, um, you know, there's a list of uh, other people who are coming out. Uh, oh, yeah, your boy Prince. uh he supposedly uh, wrote a song for Baltimore, which uh, I guess we'll have shortly. <laughs> oh, interesting. Now, now, I mean, but then, you know, there's a final line between, you know, I guess self-promotion and actually actually helping the cause. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, that's a big issue as well. Um but the guy, I can't think of his name right now, but the guy who um, was dancing like Michael Jackson. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, he made the point that um, because, you know, people were criticizing him for it, but, you know, he always dances like Michael Jackson um, in the street. That's just something that he does. And he was basically just like, you know, whatever you do, whatever your art and talent is, you know, lend it to this situation or any situation and, you know, at least try to, you know, do what you can with your art to, you know, you know, play your part. And, you know, I thought that was a, a, um, like a fitting, uh, way to look at it. So it's like, you know, I'm sure there are some self-promotion aspects to it, but at the same time, um, it's like, you know, whenever you have a movement or like a swelling, I uh, yeah, a swelling of, um, you know, consciousness. You kind of need a soundtrack to that, you know. Like in the 60s, you had Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud, you know. And that's kind of like the song that'll define the era. And I think now, um, you know, with the Ferguson situation, the song that's kind of defining it to me at least is that uh, that J. Cole song where he's singing on it. Yeah. And then uh, he performed it on Letterman. And so, um, and then he didn't even put it on his album and all that. So it's like, you know, I do think, I do think that, uh, art definitely plays a part in any movement and, you know, you can tell when it's genuine and real. And I think that, um, that, you know, it is important that artists do that. It is a fine line, but, you know, it's also, you know, like, it's better than doing a song about throwing hundreds in the strip club when, you know, you have <laughs> all this stuff going on, you know? Yeah, yeah it's very true. Um, actually, when I, I don't know, that, that guy never never ran across my mind when it came to self-promotion. I, I kind of felt like he was doing it because um, I think I've seen him around before, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I mean he's he's uh he's a fixture kind of here, and um, but you know I guess 
the people who, you know, don't know or people who aren't from here, you know, you know, he's been getting his criticisms and all of that type of stuff. And I think he did some interviews where he was, you know, promoting himself on there. But, you know, what are you supposed to do when you're an artist uh, and you're interviewed? You know, you say, okay, I'm this person. I did this for this. And go check me out here, here, and here. You know, so, I mean, there's always a bit of self-promotion, but... You know, if you're doing what you do for the cause, then, you know, do what you do for the cause because you're going to do what you're doing not for the cause anyway, you know. And well, it's almost like a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation, but, you know, do something. Well, I, well, I guess it's um, like the way when um when uh, Chief Keith made that, that, big blast, that, big, that big splash years ago with I Don't Like, and I just didn't, I didn't understand where this popularity was coming from and what he was talking about, you know, when the age was 17. Mm. Um, and you just, you simply told me, well, at least he's not, you know, out in the street killing people. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, I guess that's true, I guess. But um, I guess, you know, what you said, what you said, just said about self-promotion being damned if you do, damned if you don't. Uh, if I recall properly, I believe um, Al Sharpton and his um, rejected stone, he kind of, um, said the same thing because so many words he said. Well, I mean, what he, yeah, he does get to come out and say that you know people get on him about promoting various um you know things that happen when it comes to black people, civil rights period, and having cameras come. And he simply said, "Well, if I don't do that, then how would anyone know what's going on?" And he says that he that he knows that when he when he comes to certain places, he does it to bring more attention to these places so people can talk about it. And you know, I have—I think every every black person has a, a things about Al Sharpton, but he has a very good point. <laughs> and you know, it's the same thing. You know, with Martin Luther King and you know, um, his organization when they they when they wanted cameras so it could be you know televised all throughout the world so people could see what's going on here. Yeah, that's very true. And um, I don't know. It's like. You know, being that we weren't around back then, it's kind of hard to gauge. But um, I guess now, us being in, you know, the type of culture that we're in, where everybody is just wilding out and doing anything for their um, 15 minutes of fame, is always that, you know, suspicion and distrust of um, anybody who's uh, coming out and trying to do something, you know? Yeah. Oh. I don't know. I mean, I feel like, you know, you're better off doing something than nothing most times. And it's like, you know, you never know what can come of it or what attention you might bring to it or, you know, you might enlighten your fan base to come and look at something that they might not have checked out before. So, you know. It was interesting, though. Um, it's funny you were um, off air. You were talking about Jen, uh, MC Jen, and um, I remember he was uh, under fire because it seemed like every tragedy that came out, he did a song about it or something like that, and uh, it came off as very, um, I guess, uh, tempting tragedy for self promotion. But, you know, it turns out that he became a born-again Christian and stuff like that. So, you know, maybe that was his way of uh, 
expressing himself musically and trying to do it in a positive way instead of, you know, some of the lyrics that he was previously rapping before. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, nah, I just, I forgot all about Jin, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I didn't see that. Um, but I guess going, going back to, uh, athletics real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, hip hop wise for this podcast, we now know, especially the, uh, the listeners out there, we know what Roy Jones Jr. has been up to now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I guess he commentates, commentates the big fights. Yeah, but, uh, good to see him doing something, because, um, you know, his rap career, uh, kind of fizzles out a bit. I mean, I did, I didn't, I'm looking now, I didn't know that he had, like, in, I didn't know he had two albums. Yeah, um, I Smoke, I Drink, that was from his second album, wasn't it? Yeah, Headbangers Volume 1, and then the first album was two years before that, Round 1, the album. (laughs) uh, That was the one that had, um, y'all must have forgot. Yep, that's number two, produced by Mr. Lee. (laughs) Um, What's interesting is uh, Roy Jones, you know, just that song, um, I smoke, I drink, I'm supposed to stop, but I can't. That's a, that's a thing. Like, that's something that's iconic in hip hop. And, um, you know, people still say that however many years later, and I don't see them ever stopping. So he's, uh, he's, he's made his mark on hip hop culture. Yeah, well, you know, thinking about it, I guess we can go into athletic turned athletic men, people turn rappers. I guess he probably did it. I don't know. I guess maybe between, uh, and this is like really off the top of my head, I guess between him and Shaq, who have had like the biggest imprint. Yeah, I mean, Shaq, Shaq is one of the only people to have a song with uh, both Jay-Z and Biggie on the same track. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right, yeah. And Shaq has numerous gold albums and at least one platinum album, I believe. That's right, yeah, he does. And I'm assuming Shaq Fool, the video game, didn't do bad either. Now, I remember Shaq Fool, and he had a um, soundtrack that came out with that, didn't he? No, I recall. Uh, I, I thought he had, well, he probably had something musically related um, that had to do with that. Well, I and think then, it was uh, the... Go ahead. Oh, um, and then I was going to say, um, I guess musically, most recently, he's been, um, he was known for his uh, freestyle, where he, uh, I think he has Kobe Bryant, how his ass tasted. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, well, we already know that Kobe's Rap career didn't nothing had ever had because his 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 album was unreleased, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think his album ever came out. You know, you know. It, I come to think about it, it's funny. Do you or do you randomly remember like the Will Smith album that came out some years before, like the Hitch soundtrack and like the album cover? It's like him just sitting like on a couch, just kind of smiling, looking happy. 
and being rich. <laughs> um, I do remember him coming out. That uh, that was his album after Willennium. Um, yeah, I think so. He had like some type of like corny ass duet with um him and Jada Pinkett or something like that. I I barely remember that. Okay, well, cause I, it just no born like, to rain. I see it. Yeah, because well, it just it just popped in my head that like that album cover is pretty similar to Kobe's cover that came and I think that album was supposed to come out what by two thousand two two thousand one. Mm. Um, but I think it was a smoke a smoking section article um that talks about Shaq's first album and actually that it was in so many words a good album. Like based on the production that he had, and <clears throat> I'm assuming he had help with, help with uh, writing it too. Mm. Um, oh, didn't he have like a didn't he have like a Saint Ives commercial too, like with Wu Tang or he probably one by himself. Uh, it's probably by himself. A lot of people had Saint Ives uh, commercials back then, but um, yeah, I mean Shaq, he uh. He definitely capitalized off of um off of his fame. Like to the fullest. I mean, video games, movies, rap albums. I guess another um another athlete turned rapper is uh remember Alan Iverson? <laughs> yeah, I think I do. Yeah, uh I think his rap name was Jules or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And um, he had a song called 40 Bars. And, oh, maybe the song was just called Jewel. Oh, yeah, Alan Iverson, a.k.a. Jewel's 40 Bars. And um, I remember it not being horrible back then, but people definitely didn't seem to like it. But Well, you know, I would say that, I mean, it's obvious that Alan Iverson, he had, he had uh, the... He had a uh, um, influence on fashion within hip hop. Well, I guess you can say Roy Jones and Shaq actually had. Well, maybe not Shaq, but Roy. I guess Roy Jones had like a, some type of footprint on hip hop to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, athletes have uh, made an impact on hip hop, and um, another uh, another one is uh, Chris Webber. What's on with that? With the, with the other uh, the Fab Five. Um. Oh, you talking about him rapping? I'm talking about him uh, producing. I think he raps too, but um, he uh, he produced some tracks on Nas's um, "Hip Hop Is Dead." Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know that that was the problem. With it. <laughs> 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 uh, but no, but you know, he was a part of like yeah, I think it was I mean, he was he was a part of like the the Fat Five too as well. Oh, I didn't know was, that. Um, I think so. Yeah, him, Jalen Rose, and some other people, and you know how they wore the shorts and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I must yeah. say that was probably one of the best sports documentaries I've ever seen. I don't know. Did I see that one? I might have saw something about it. Oh yeah, Chris Webber. He had a song. Oh wow, I didn't know he was rapping even back then. Um, I see a complex article about uh, NBA players and and hip hop and um he had a song called Gangsta Gangsta with uh Corrupt back in nineteen ninety nine. Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty pretty uh early. 
Oh, who can forget? Meta World Peace. Oh, that's right, yeah. I forgot he had an album. Didn't he have, like, two albums? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, I didn't know he actually came out. I know he came out with, like, a lot of singles and songs and stuff, and one of them was that song, Champions, and I can't front. That song was hard. You know, so, Ellen, he never came out with an album. He came out with, like, two mixtapes or something like that. Uh, as far as I know, he came out with, like, one or two freestyles, at least that I heard. Now, the thing is, if he came out, like, I think, like, you know, in, in his heyday, you know, especially since he had people wearing cornrows and the Iversons and, you know, how they, how in, like, the big earrings, um, you would think that if he came out with an album like, during that time, like, around, what, like, 2003, that would have gone gold, especially, you know, since, like, you know, albums were selling crazy around that time anyway. Yeah, and the thing, too, like, out of everybody who's, you know, out of all those people who put out albums and who put out music, he was the most uh, stereotypical rapperish. Yeah, like, because, like, um, I can't even, I mean, you can't, like, if you didn't know Shaq Rats, you couldn't picture him as a rapper. Yeah, especially not Kobe. I mean, because uh, isn't, he, isn't he, like, dressed up? <laughs> when that album comes to or something like that something like that yeah especially back I mean like maybe now you can see some of these people as rappers but not back then yeah but you know who's uh, actually kind of dope is uh, Iman Shumpert from the, uh, New York Knicks like he raps yeah 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 he's pretty nice like um I, I I thought that you hear some of his tracks before. He has, like, a bunch of tracks on SoundCloud. Um, I think, basically, what he does is uh, get injured and then record mixtapes. <laughs> but, um, you know, he's he's pretty good. I actually found myself riding around to a couple of his uh, his tracks before. I'm just looking at this complex list. Um, Delonte West. Uh, <laughs> oh, I never knew you had one. Yeah, he seems like somebody who... Uh, could make it Steve Francis. I didn't know he was uh, rapping. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, the thing about Delonte West, though, is that, you know, I'm not too surprised. I mean, he, he was, you know, supposedly having sex with uh, LeBron James's mother. Yeah. And, um, was that the one who we were calling Lil Boosie? <laughs> Lil Boosie badass we were watching the game? Because, uh, oh. like Lil Boosie. I think he was playing for the Wizards at the time. Uh, I don't remember that. Oh, oh I forgot who I was with, but yeah, like, and uh, he just kept fouling and stuff like that. And then when you look at, you know, his persona and everything, it just it just fit just the way he plays, and <laughs> you know, it's not surprising that he's a rapper. And um, um, I think I want to say Metal uh, Metal World Peace has. Had a um had a song with Mob Deep, or if he didn't, he was either in that video or he was in theirs because he's from Queensbridge. Yeah, I recall him on the uh the One Epstein podcast. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he was talking about his his uh his upbringing or whatever like that. Yeah, yeah he's a um he's a very interesting dude. I'm surprised um what's his name uh. 
who used to play for the Bulls who cross dresses, uh, Dennis Rodman. I'm surprised he never came out with an album. Hmm. And he has more important things to do. You know, he's he's the uh, the leader of North Korea's homeboy. <laughs> yeah. Um. He has a uh, basketball diplomacy and all that. I mean, yeah. Think about. It. I mean, I'm pretty sure basketball is probably behind soccer, probably like the most popular sport in the world. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's be like you know, all that. Like, I can just get a fucking creep, and you, you can play basketball. That's how we used to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very convenient. Yeah, crate in the alley, and um. You know my uh, theory on um, on the racist, uh, not racist, but the uh, race uh, stereotypes in uh, in basketball, right? Was that? It's that um, you know how like white people are known for shooting threes and black people are known for having handles and dribbling. Mm-hmm. Because like you know we play on a crate nailed to a tree in an alley or in a backyard. So it's like you don't have like a regulation size hoop and all that other type of stuff. So you kind of really learn how to dribble and do a whole bunch of tricks and all this other type of stuff. And that leads to black people style of, um, you know, that, that Allen Iverson street ball type stuff. But, you know, uh, white people being more, you know, um, affluent many times, you know, they might have more access to uh, regulation size uh, courts and hoops and things like that. So, you know, that gives them more time to really practice shooting and, you know, banging them threes and stuff like that. Hmm, that's, I never thought about it that way. That's a very, that's a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I came up with that theory. I think I was in high school um, when I used to play basketball, and I think one time we um, went to one of my teammates' houses for something. It was like way out in, in uh, Howard County somewhere, and he had a basketball court in his basement. And I said, "Oh, that's why he can shoot three so well." <laughs> I mean, you know, I think it's also that too, in the fact that you know, if you have a crate. You know, that's like, you know, that's square compared to a hoop. It's yeah. like, it's even harder to shoot. Yeah. If I'm think about it, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, like, how you have, um... I mean, I mean Alan Robinson, he was, he was pretty much kind of sort of seen as, like, a... as a pretty decent shooter, though. But, like, you know... Let's say, like, John Wall or, like, the Gil- like Gilbert Arenas, like, these types of people, they would, like, dribble... And, uh, and that main thing was like going straight into the post to try to to try to you know like get a foul or just try to get the ball somewhere near the near the hoop. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then you know they always say I know like they I know like when John Wall first came into like the game they always said that you know he needs to like he just can't be doing that because you know they, I think they invested like you know, that point sixty million dollars or something or something like that. And they needed them, so they they couldn't afford for him to to be doing that shit every five minutes. And so that's when they, I think, he kind of got a bit better with you know shooting threes. Yeah. Hmm. I just remember um, on uh, 
NBA 2K back in the day, just bucking them shots like dirt and whiskey. Oh, yeah. I vaguely remember that. <laughs> um, I don't know how many times I heard that line in various rap songs. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, even like, you know, I mean, Michael Jordan, he, he wasn't really known as like a, a sharpshooter either. No, he wasn't, but he just, I mean, he was clutch with it. But see, the thing about Allen Iverson is that I think that he kind of, he kind of, um, I I guess in a way, like LeBron probably could have been seen as maybe the second coming of, like, Allen Iverson, if not Michael, rather than Michael Jordan, if Allen Iverson did things the right way. I mean, you know, he never practiced. Yeah. <laughs> if he would have practiced. If he would have practiced. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of... <laughs> yeah, although, I mean, what's that doing? I mean, although he's short, too. But, I mean, the shit that he would do, not not a fucking practice, he would just do, what, 40 bars and then come straight out and just, just play basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's amazing. I I heard um, uh, what's his name um, on ESPN now uh, that everybody hates. Uh, conservative. Hmm? Stephen A. Smith. No, no, not him. Former player, um, Charles Barkley. Oh, okay. Yeah, he said um something about if he would have practiced and been on his conditioning and stuff more, you know. I think he said something about that's one of the things that uh, he kind of regrets from his career. But you know, I guess he's doing all right now. <laughs> I mean, he is. But, you know, people are getting on him about his weight and all this and that. You know, we see Michael Jordan. I think I saw some picture of him at some type of some type of event, and he has someone that looked younger than me on his arm, and he looks he looks slim and trim. He's looking all old and stuff. Yeah, that's what he is. That's the thing. He does look old, but um. You know, but I mean, even him, though. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting just like to see, like, like to find out what these athletes, you know, what used to do before games. And did I, did I ever tell you about like that? I think I mentioned to you like a while ago. I read the, uh, the Cigar Aficionado article on Michael Jordan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, this man said he would smoke before he would smoke a cigar before games, especially if he was driving to the games and it was he was in traffic. Hmm. Yeah, and, say like it calmed his nerves or something. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. He said yeah, especially like when like um like the playoffs. He would he said he would smoke like he usually he would smoke before every game, uh-huh. and he would just come in smell, smelling like straight cigars and people. <laughs> but after a while, they got they got kind of used to it though. Uh, I mean, um, another thing. Uh, what's his name? Um, Metal World Peace. He had a song called Henny at Halftime. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how I wonder how true that is. I mean, he said, you know, I mean, I mean, he said, you know, when he first started playing in the NBA, you know, I guess when he used to be real wild, um, he used to drink some honey at halftime, and I wonder if uh, if that contributed to the uh, infamous what was that called, the malice at the palace? Are you talking about when he kept? Uh, are you talking about when he was fighting? When he was fighting, or when he was killing us through uh, doing shooting threes? Uh, that fight, that big ass fight that happened at time. Oh yeah, oh yeah, with the Pistons when he was still on the uh, the Pacers, right? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, was, that. 
that was crazy. It's crazy that I even saw that because, you know, I so rarely watch basketball. And one of the times when I happened to be watching it, <laughs> the biggest fight ever in sports history <laughs> breaks out. Yeah, that, I mean, that was that was just a, a straight embarrassment to black people. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think about it. They already think that that you know, at the time, the only thing we're good for is for their for their viewing pleasures of having us shoot shoot balls through hoops and shit. Yeah. And now that now oh now these niggas are giving us a full blown boxing match. Oh now we don't got to wait for the, for the newest Mayweather fight. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I think it's, it's a shame that it has to be like that, you know, um, that whole race thing, because, you know, there there, there is something about the, uh, the mind state of an athlete, you know, that uh, competitive nature and that aggression and I guess that testosterone and all that. Um, I think that has a lot to do with, you know, when things like that happen and, you know, when sports players get in these controversies and things like that. Usually, um, I think it's it's the thing that makes them great is also the thing that leads to them doing crazy, wild stuff. And then at the same time with that particular incident, you know, a fan crossed over into the sports player's domain. And once you, you know, break that, that barrier, you know, when you step onto that court, you know, you kind of get what's coming to you. And, you know, it's the same thing with, you know, when a fan hops on stage with a rapper, like Action Bronson slamming people off stage. Like, you know, you got to respect people's place of work. Wait, he's done that? Who, uh, Action Bronson? Yeah. He's known for doing that. No. I mean, he, he looks so unhealthy. <laughs> um, I just can't see it. I mean, yeah, he's known for um, slamming people. Off the, I mean, it's to the point where, you know, um, I remember him talking about how um, that is kind of overshadowing his music and um, and you know his performances, and he thinks that people come to his shows just to get slammed off stage. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, well, for, I guess first of all, shot, I mean, that wasn't that wasn't a shot, shot to action, Bronson. Yeah. Uh, but the, I mean, well, I, this is a whole other conversation. But I guess we can get to this a little later. But I say that because you know we 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 talked about rappers that look unhealthy, and sometimes they don't even tell you that they're unhealthy. And you know, you just don't want them, you don't want them to go out or, or no or look like you know Bicky or go out like a big punt, you know. Yeah, man, big pun. I mean, that just it just hurt my heart, man. That's you know, it's like one of my favorite rappers, top five favorite rappers um, of all time, and just you know, just that weight, man. It just, it's just not good. And you know, there's a list of rappers who look unhealthy, and you know, I hope they get it together. You know, I'm proud of Fat Joe for um, getting himself together the way he did. And uh, Rick Ross. Yeah, Rick Ross, he's working on it. Um, And, you know, it's not even just, uh, you know, weight issues, but um, there's, you know, sleep issues and stuff like that. Like how, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, What's that that singer's name? Um, I can't 
can't think of his name right now. Uh, everybody loved him. Um, fairly recent new singer, like Real Hood from New Orleans. Um. Mm-hmm. Oh man, I can't think of his name right now. But um, he he uh, had a seizure on stage or something like that, and like fell out and hit his head and was in a coma. Um, for a bit, I believe. And um, I remember Nicki Minaj came and brought him like flowers and stuff like that. And um, it's like all of that. Um, you know, just from the grueling schedule of uh, you know touring and you know like media dates and stuff like that. It's like you know rappers aren't getting enough sleep, they're not eating right, they're probably drinking too much, and you know all that takes a toll on your body. Yeah, um, and I mean, I'm sure, like, you know, like, the, um, I, you know, I will say when it comes to, I think, a lot of these instances of these situations, I think a lot of it also has to do with weed. You know, you're, you're, you're smoking these different strains of weed from all over the country, if not the world, shit, all over the world. They're having different effects on, on your body, and you know, maybe it get, it gets you more lazier than usual. Or whatever like that. Like, I know, like, like currency. Mm-hmm. Like, on um, the Warren Epstein podcast, he said that usually when you see him, like, smoking weed, or like, when he smokes weed most of the time, it's to find the right weed to smoke. <laughs> <laughs> and usually when you see him with a blunt, he's probably just testing it. <laughs> I'm like, what type of shit is this? <laughs> so, I mean, like that alone is kind of crazy. So he, so he's smoking all these crazy blunts. Don't, he doesn't know where his weed is really coming from at the time. He's just smoking it. I mean, and we know that's a dangerous situation right there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, and we know how you know Rick Ross. He likes his weed, you know. Man, I'm sure other rappers do too. Actually, was Big Pun was was he a smoker, a weed smoker? I know he was a drinker, but probably. But yeah, man, like I mean, I mean, even not like you know when it comes, not even like when it comes to obesity, um, obesity, just like even just like plain drug drug use. So like Danny Brown, mm-hmm. um, I think I told you a while ago, and I'm kind of worried about him. Um, based on his, you know, his his various habits, or whatever and, uh, like that. Even uh, Kid Cudi. Yo, yeah, and Kid Cudi, who I, I said, man, worried about him, like, almost like a year, like, maybe like a year or two before he had that shit where the liquid cocaine incident where he ripped the, <laughs> he ripped the door off hinges. Like, how do you rip a door, a door off the hinges in a hotel? Like, especially, you know, Kid Cudi, like... Yeah. You know, you could see like a Freddie Fox or somebody maybe doing that, but Kid Cuddy? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of crazy, man. But like when I, when I heard that, because it's something about, because we, we know like based on like what we've been hearing with these different podcasts, hip hop podcasts, that Coke was a big thing, of course, yeah. when hip hop, in, in, in hip hop's infancy, but now it's kind of sort of died off with, you know, the, I guess, when crack came around and, you know, I guess hip hop just became a Hennessy and weed type of, weed and 40 type of thing. Yeah. But then, like, 
But so then when I hear about a rapper mentioning Coke, like doing Coke <laughs> in their songs, I think it seriously. So when I heard I heard him say something about doing lines of Coke, I said, Oh shit, this nigga's on Coke and now he's gonna go crazy. Now look what happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um recently, uh I think it was DJ Paul in the interview, he um he said that three six mafia was the first group uh, to ever talk about doing hard drugs on a song, and they weren't afraid to do it. And he was like, you know, a lot of them groups that they were around were all doing that stuff at the time, but they weren't talking about it on the song. But Three Six Mafia, they weren't afraid. So you know, that's one of their, uh, <laughs> that's one of their um, legacies in hip hop, I guess. I mean, you know, well, that, that makes it look, because if, if you look at, like, their discography, they've been around for a long time. Yeah, I mean, 1992. Yeah, so you have 90, 92, and, um, I was about to say something, I was about to say something about 36 Mafia. I can't think of it right now. Um, I just remember that song, um, off that Little John album, uh, The Blow. Yeah, yeah. Call it, bring it in. 
whatever you want.
I mean, see, the thing is, though, you have to, like, you have to put these albums with, you know, you got to historically contextualize these albums. Okay, so we know in the 80s they weren't, there weren't too many, they weren't like a lot of Big Daddy Kane's and Rocky, and this is why they, you know, they are who they are, because they, they weren't people rhyming like Kane or Rakim or, um, or Cool G Rap especially. Um, because I mean, actually in certain instances, I would kind of say Cool G Rap is probably above them to a certain extent. Above Big Daddy Kane and Rakim? Yeah, yeah, to a certain extent, yeah, I would say. But the thing about, I mean, but the thing about all three of them, they, they, I mean, they, they, they rhymed in their own different way. Now, maybe with me, maybe I'm just, I'm more of a, you know, a Koji rep type of person. Mm. But I mean, cause, but I mean, but, and this is something that, you know, that hip hop people always say that Koji rep doesn't really exactly get his, his props. But we do know that supposedly, you know, when Big Pun actually met him for the first time, he, he, he bowed down to him and kissed his ring. Yeah. And you know what? Matter of fact, when you said matter of fact, when you said Cool G rap, I I immediately thought Big Pun, and I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. And um, I love that uh, that four, five, six album. That's the one. That was like ninety five, ninety six, right? When he's like, yeah, like one that Yeah, yeah, it was Mad Violent, <laughs> and um, it had that song with Nas on it, um, the Fast Life of Fast Cars. Everywhere we go, people know who we are. Okay, yeah, I, I haven't listened to that song. So, I mean, that album so long. Like, I mean, I don't know. For real, like the only cool G rap. I mean, I go back to you know the first one, him and DJ Cole, or that one. But um, other than that, I'll go back to um the album. The album that um who that the the review that you had on your wall from the source. From like way, way yeah. back in the day. Uh, Giancana? Yeah, Giancana story, I think that's what it was. Yeah, that, yeah, that was a cool album. I mean, he really hasn't ever really dropped anything wet. Yeah, no, I mean, so that can be a whole other conversation that we, because we, we always have, you know, we always have like certain people, especially in Redman, I think is the main one with us. Like, we'll say, oh, he has like a new mixtape, bro. And we're like, all right. And then we'll go back and forth. Like, hey, listen to it. You're like, oh, I listened to one song, two songs. They were hard. And then after that, we don't listen to it no more. Yeah. <laughs> and this is something I'm still going through. Like, with, like, Prodigy's album, the one he came out with, Alchemist. Um, what's it called? The, the Al, Albert something? Oh, yeah, the, uh, the Albert Einstein joint. Yeah, man, I listened to the first four tracks. I'm like, this is hard as shit, and I turned it off, and I haven't have listened to it ever since. And since but whenever he released it with, like, <laughs> bonus tracks. <laughs> I know, it, it's really bad, because I just know it's a hard album, and I just can't, I don't know, something about it. <laughs> yeah, I think I did listen to the whole thing of that one eventually. Um, speaking of that, I did go back and listen to... Uh, the first one they did together um, before HNIC2 came out, and that's oh, a dope album as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I didn't like that. I didn't like HNIC2 or Return of the Mac. Oh, man. I mean, Return of the Mac, you got to be in the mood to listen to because it's, you know, a thematic type of album with those uh, samples that Alchemist used. But um, I loved HNIC2. And I loved uh, product of the 80s. 
I mean, yeah, I love product of the 80s. And see, you, know, you know, it was really random how, like, the way, because, like, all those albums kind of came out, like, within, like, the same, I guess, time, era, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Pretty much they all came out around the same time before he went to jail. Yeah, yeah, he was working before he went to jail. But I don't know, like, the product of the 80s to me was, like, the leftover tracks from, um, from uh, H&IC2. I mean, I, I don't know about that because, I mean, because, okay, well, because I know, because I think prior to the 80s, that was all Sid Rome's, right? Uh, I think Sid Rome's did a lot. I think maybe Havoc did a couple, and uh, Alchemist might have done some, if I'm remembering correctly. I think it was pretty much the same cast of producers from um, from HNIC2. Well, I think well, I know the thing about that I liked about product of the eighties was the the fact that you know since he got deeper into conspiracy theory that it was more spacey, but at the same time it was still hard and yeah. had this type of eighties vibe where H and I C two from what I can recall it was it was more soft. It was like East Coast, but it was still like way more soft. Like he had like a song with pianos, like what children singing on it or some shit. Um. I think his son or something. I just wasn't. I wasn't. Oh yeah, yeah. The uh, ABC joint. That joint was was. I mean, you gotta go back and listen to that. And the video. He was like, was it the video where it was just real bloody? Oh, wasn't that from Return of the Mac? Maybe I'm thinking about um, sitting alone in my four corner room, looking at candles, listening to gangster music. That joint that he did on Return of the Mac. One of them videos, but um. Yeah, man, I don't know, man. I really liked uh, H&IC, too. I mean, of course, it didn't sound anything like uh, the first H&IC, but, you know, it was a yeah, nice first, project. Man, the first H&IC is a classic. Yeah. And no no one ever talks about it. Um, I mean, even the one with BG, like, the song that had BG, uh, uh, Young Black Entrepreneurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we talked about this before. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's funny because, like, you know, I think I initially didn't like that song, but then it just grew on me. Because you know how sometimes you listen to an album so much and you have your favorite songs, and and then you get tired of your favorite songs, so you go back to the ones that you don't listen to any uh, uh, that much, and you start to appreciate those. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I was kind of, I guess maybe I was like a bit forced into like liking um, with Young Black Entrepreneurs because it was all over um, Rap City. I think the box was still around then. I mean, it was just all, it was, the music video always played on cable somehow, somewhere, especially like late at night. Mm. And I know that, um, and also this was around the time of, you know, it's early, but it came out 2000, 2001, so Wu-Tang had the W out at that point, so I was always checking for whenever they would play Gravel Pit, um, and then you, at the same time, you had Stan that came out around that time. Um, yeah, so you had that um, that that, uh, that song, too, and I always wanted to see the music video for whatever reason, because I was always amazed that <laughs> BG and Prodigy, what they were on a track together, and then Baby was even on the uh, on the, in the music video. Yeah, I mean, this is interesting. Um, number one, just the 
the way we used to have to do things back in the day. I mean, this is some, I sound like an old man, but, like, you really had to sit around and wait for a song. And, like, you know, I talked about how I used to make the tapes off of uh, Strictly Hip Hop and the Rap Attack and all that, and that was the way that, you know, I had to get music unless I was, um, you know, taping something off of somebody's CD. But I probably still have VHS tapes of music videos. I mean, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, and that's like sometimes, you know, like when you look at certain people who, like, and this is actually a conversation we kind of already had, but yeah. but I think it's slightly different though. When you look at certain producers who who talk about, you know, people who use, you know, free loose or whatever like that, saying they don't know about hip hop. You know, some of these people actually are a bit older than me and you. So you just kind of, you kind of, you can't, you can't always say that because, you know, some of these producers are also people who have done the same things that, you know, that we've had to do when it comes to like, the, to, to, to getting music. I remember when I had to wait around for the longest time to listen to, uh, it was one, one, uh, uh, Sun and Wild song. Oh yeah. The one when he like and he it's raining and he's just rapping and he's like an angry black man. It's because they, uh, call me Sunny because I'm so NY. Yeah, man, and I had to I had to wait for the longest time every other day at least to like to, to watch that music video. And you know what was uh, terrible about that time? One of the worst things is if if um. You know, sometimes, especially if you listen to, like, an underground mix show, a song might come on, and you might never hear that song ever again in life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. <laughs> like, that song will be gone. It's just in your memory. I remember um, songs from some group called the Alley Cats, and I don't even I re- remember what the songs re- sounded I re- like. Remember, I remember the Alley Cats. Yeah, I remember I yeah, they had some joints, and, you know, or, like, after a song was done, this, you know, promotional run, sometimes it'll be gone. Like, it was years until I heard, um, remember The Outsiders, The Rah Rah? Yeah. yeah. Like, that song didn't come on that much. It used to come on the box, and once that song was done, it's run on the box, I didn't hear that again until I was probably in my 20s. I mean, shit. Even like, even like the, uh, you know, like, like the real, like the weird artists, like you know, Booyah Tribe. Mm. Even them. Um, but that's the thing. Well, I guess we can get get into this conversation now um, about videos that like had this run and then they just disappeared. I and mean, this, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I was just thinking about maybe uh, segueing into uh, the Busy Bone video that you were talking about. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's what I was about to get into. Okay, hold on. Uh, uh, let's just take a break real quick, uh, and then we'll get right back into this uh, Busy Bone uh, video and Busy Bone in general. Once again, this is the Channel 10 Podcast, channel10podcast.com. Listen, subscribe, rate, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, whatever you are, we will be there. Uh, be right back. Feeling this here. Yeah, son, you feel it, man. What well, up, son? You gotta just do it, yeah, yo. Man. Yo, what up, man? Some different channels, son. What up, on, man? What up? Watch the channel, son. Different plane now, man. So good. What up? All good, baby, in every hood, son. What up, yo? CNN Network Channel 10. It's on. 
down again. Street niggas is grown men. Bold face, scatter your face. Stay in place, yo, crime late. Catch more beef than scarf. 